You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Well, I can't, uh, I don't even know where to begin with the introduction of uh, Dr. Jeff Ginn. It, our paths have kind of supernaturally, I think by the Spirit of God, been uh, connected from an early age. When I was a young uh, teenager, he and his wife Nell and their kids were on the mission field in Cali, Colombia. He was teaching uh, Greek in Spanish uh, in a seminary there, but he also planted some churches. And so when he would come home on furlough, he would stay in the mission house over at Leewood, over off of Macon Road. And I would see him in the hallways and hear him speak. And uh, then fast forward, I was at Blue Mountain College and he came to preach one chapel service and shared a testimony of church planning. And I remember in detail that testimony. Then fast forward, I went off to seminary, a mid-America northeast branch up in New York where he was the director. And so he actually taught me in church history and and some other courses. And and so then fast forward, I went with him to a church in Virginia where I was a student pastor. He was the lead pastor there. We were served together for almost a decade. Then fast forward and I was, Vicki and I were on the mission field and he ended up eventually at a church uh, in, in Baton Rouge, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, that church, Estruma Baptist, partnered with us in India to reach, to plant churches among Muslims. And so our paths have been inseparable. And of course now, he, he, he went to the IMB, left that church to go serve as the uh, affinity leader for the Americas, because he and Nell uh, speak fluent Spanish, and they led that work there for several years. And now he's taken on a new role as vice president of the International Mission Board for Mobilization of Churches. And so it's a it's a great privilege. He's a he's a good basketball player. He's a good golfer. Uh, he's actually a musician, has a degree in music, uh, and he could play that bass, Rodney. He could have come up here and played that bass for you this morning. But most of all, uh, he's my friend, and it's been a privilege. He's a mentor to me, and uh, if if I'm a bad pastor, it's his fault. All right, come on up here. <laughs> Oh, kids, third grade and under, y'all need to get on out of here to your children's church. Thank you, Lindy. Somebody knows what's happening. As they're going, I'm going to, you can get set up there, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray over him this morning. Y'all pray with me. Uh, Father God, I I thank you for the, the ministry and the generosity of this man. I thank you for the example he has been throughout his life as a consistent, faithful shepherd, a missionary, a soul winner. Uh, He and Nell have just been just a perfect portrait of of Christ to me and my family, baptizing my first two kids and uh, just meaning so much to me. So I I do pray in a special way you would anoint him, allow him to preach with freedom, give him all the freedom you want today and let his words be your words. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, buddy. 
Well, it's a tremendous joy to be here at Piperton Baptist Church. Uh, I feel like it's Christmas all over again. I know today's New Year's Eve, but it feels like Christmas to me to get to be here with the Fox family. And Wentz already told you a little bit about our relationship across the years, but I think so highly of Wint and Vicki. Uh, they're just tremendous, tremendous servants of the Lord. And you're fortunate to have them as your pastor uh, and pastor's wife. And of course, Shiloh and Elijah mean so much to us. We really feel like kind of they're part of our family, almost like our kids. Uh, and what a delight to see them growing in the Lord. And it's a special treat for me today. My wife is with me here today. God blessed us with three children. They're all here today. We have five grandchildren, and they're all here today. So uh, just what a special day it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So thankful for the grace of God. Uh, I also think it's a special day because I get to come and say thank you to Piperton Baptist Church. I, I'm reminded of a story of a little boy that was invited to a birthday party, and uh, it was for one of the neighborhood kids, and so he went over to the house, and uh, before he left, uh, his mama said, now I want you to be sure to tell the nice lady thank you for inviting you to the birthday party. So sure enough, the little boy took the gift that he was going to give away, and he, he walked over to the neighboring house, and they had a party, they pinned the tail on the donkey, and they had cake and punch and all the things you do at the party. And the little boy, uh, after it was over, he came back home and his mama said, well, Johnny, did you have a good time at the party? He said, oh, yes, ma'am. She said, what'd you do? She, he said, well, we played pin the tail on the donkey. We had punch. We had cake. She said, well, did you tell the nice lady thank you? He said, well, I was going to, but the kid in front of me said thank you. And she said, don't mention it. So I didn't. <laughs> Uh, and uh, too often we don't mention it. We don't say thank you when we should. And I'm here today to say thank you to Piperton Baptist Church. Now you've not known me perhaps before today. Maybe you've never laid eyes on me. But if you've given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and you've given through the cooperative program to support Southern Baptist Ministries, though you didn't know me and our children, you put bread on our table, you put a roof over our head, a car in which we could travel and preach the gospel. You have been partners with us in the ministry. And so I came today to say, muchas gracias. Que Dios les bendiga. May God bless you. Thank you so much. What a delight it is to be here with you. Now, I want to speak today on this theme, Christ's mission and church members. Now, I'm using that term church members very loosely, but I want to speak on that theme, Christ's mission and and church members. You know, not every church member or church attendee supports mission equally. I'm going to speak of three categories, and I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you before I unpack it. There are those that love missions. There are those, it pains me to say, who loathe missions. That is, they dislike missions. They don't support it. And then there are those who actually live missions. So you can remember it. Those who love missions, those who loathe missions, and those who live missionally. All right, so we're going to take those in order. And I'm going to preach today from the little letter of 3 John. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up. The epistle 3 John. If you don't know where that is in your Bible, just go to Revelation. Then come back through Jude to 3 John. It's the next to the next letter of the Bible. And I also wanted to say I've got good news and bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. I'm going to preach through this whole book in this one sitting. 
The good news is it's the shortest book in the Bible. All right. So we're going to go through it all, but it's the shortest book in the whole Bible. In fact, it's so short, it doesn't even have chapter divisions, only few verses. But in honor of God's word, I want you to please stand as it is read. And don't let the brevity of this letter fool you. It is full, chock full of good truths on which we can all be nourished. 3 John, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, the elder, and by the way, that's a reference to John, the author of the letter, the, the apostle John. He's the elder. So he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers though they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles or the nations. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, actually in the Greek it's stronger, who loves to be first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much more to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Our theme this morning is Christ's mission and church members. Now in the letter, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but we were introduced by John the Elder to three characters. They are Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And these three men represent the different types of church members that there are and how they engage with Christ's mission. Now, just so we're all clear, Christ's mission is to address and to meet humanity's greatest need. Our greatest need? is not the cessation of war, though that is a problem in our world today. Our greatest problem is not war. Our greatest problem is not hunger. Our greatest problem is not disease, though all of these are serious problems. The greatest problem in the world today is spiritual lostness. And Christ's mission is to get the good news to those who are lost so that they may be found and become a part of his forever family. And different members, if I could use that term, relate to Christ's mission in different ways. And we're going to look at the three different ways that church members relate to missions. Number one, there is the member who loves missions. Now, this is represented by the bulk of the brief letter. It's the character Gaius. Good, godly, generous 
Gaius. What do we know of him? Well, let's look now on to verses 1 and 2. We'll put those verses on the screen. Those verses say, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, the, the, the thing that I want to point out regarding Gaius is that Gaius is beloved. Do you see it there in the verses? Uh, let's go back to that verse again. Verses 1 and 2. He says, the elder to the beloved, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Then he says, beloved, I pray that it may go well with you. That's three times in two verses he refers to his love for Gaius. And we won't put it up here, but verses 5 and 11 also use that same term. So that within these scant verses, five times Gaius is referred to as one who is loved. Now, how do you explain the fact that Gaius is so beloved? Well, there's a couple of possible explanations. One of them is that John himself, being the apostle of love, was so loving that he just is that way toward everybody. You know, Gaius, beloved, I love you. Uh, he's effusive with his love. But I don't think that's an adequate explanation because when he speaks of Diotrephes, a few verses later, he's not going to say beloved because Gaius I'm sorry, Diotrephes is not behaving in a, in a way that is appropriate, and so he's not beloved. So it might be that he's called beloved because John the Apostle, the author of this letter, is the Apostle of Love. And it would fit with his character to say that. But that's not an adequate explanation, I don't believe. So why else might he be called the beloved? It is because... He is lovable. <laughs> you know, there's some people, you, you love them, and it's not, not so much because you're a loving person, but it's because they are lovable in their, their nature, the way they carry themselves, their, their character. And in this case, uh, his commitment to Christ's mission. He was lovable. According to verse 3, uh, the Bible says... That for Gaius, uh, it was going well with his soul. Uh, that, that gets to the idea of, yes, he, he, he was winsome. He, he was growing in his spiritual life, and, and John loved him for it. In fact, his soul was prospering so much that uh, there's actually a prayer or a wish offered up for for godly Gaius. He says, uh, Gaius, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul is prospering. And I, I love this prayer. Uh, he was doing so well spiritually that John said, I, I wish your bank account uh, would reflect the way your soul is prospering. I, I wish that your physical health would be equal to your spiritual health. I wish that your relationships could be as healthy as is your soul in Christ. Let me just get personal with you here at Piperton this morning. If your bank account, if your 401k, if your 403b, if, if they reflected the condition of your soul, would you be broke? <laughs> or would your, your, your account be rising? What about your health? 
If your physical health reflected the condition of your spiritual soul, would you be in good health? What would be the doctor's report? What would be the blood test results? Uh, If your physical health reflected your spiritual health. And ditto with your interpersonal relationships. The truth is, very often, though not always, your economic condition does reflect your spiritual condition. It's an interesting thing. Not always. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. uh, But I do believe that when we honor the Lord and we are punctual and we go to work on time and we don't squander our money on drugs and alcohol and we honor the Lord with our life, very often our finances tend to rise uh, in keeping with our spiritual health. Even physically, uh, you know, people who don't abuse drugs and they don't abuse alcohol and they, they live a healthy lifestyle, they get adequate rest, they're at peace in their souls. Those things lend themselves often to physical health. Not always, but often. And relationally, boy, it's so true that if your soul is prospering, often it will be reflected in the most intimate relationships of your life. Now, it isn't always that way. Again, I've stressed that multiple times. And I think it's partly the reason John is praying this for Gaius. Perhaps it was that Gaius' health was not good at this moment. And he said, oh, brother, I, I would pray that your health would be like your soul. You'd be getting along well. It may have been that. But in any case, he prays it for Gaius. And I pray it for you, that you will prosper even as your soul is getting along well. Now, here's a, a, a little bit of a, a, a brain teaser for you. Your soul is invisible, right? You don't see the invisible part of who you are. Uh, the deepest part of you, who you are, the, the most real part of who you are, your soul. So if John could not see Gaius' soul, how did he know that his soul was prospering, that, his soul, that it was going well with his soul? Well, the reason he knew it is, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. <laughs> Do you understand that expression? What's in the well comes up in the bucket. That is, how you are in your soul shows up in your daily living. You can't hide that. You get jostled. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What's in your soul comes to the surface. And and so Gaius was surfacing some really good things. And I'm going to mention two of them. And here we will go to this next slide. Uh, It is that Gaius walked in the truth. This gave evidence to the well-being of his soul. Here I'm thinking about verses 3 and 4. The Bible there says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And I would just emphasize those words. You're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you see it emphasized there twice over? That's a beautiful word in the original language. Peri pateo. Pateo means to walk about. And peri means uh, to, to, to go around through the course of your daily living, for example. Peri pateo. Uh, your, your walk, your, your daily walk, your life. Your living in the truth is another way that it could be stated. Now notice that he didn't say... I have no greater joy than to hear that my children know the truth. Now, he could have said that uh, because it's important that we know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
So it's important to know the truth. But what gave John joy was not that Gaius knew the truth, but that he was walking in the truth. Notice that he didn't say, I have no greater joy than to know that my children speak the truth. Now, is it important that we speak the truth? Absolutely. Uh, we're to speak the truth in love, Paul instructed his readers. And we're to speak the gospel and share the gospel. So is it important that we share the gospel and speak the truth? It is. But that wasn't what gave John, the elder, such great joy. Instead, it was that my children walk in the truth. That is, that they were living the truth. When you live the truth, you will know it, and you will walk, uh, you will speak it. Those go together. But the important thing is that we walk in the truth, that we live it. That's the culmination. That's the capstone. Um, to be honest with you, there are times when I know more truth than I walk out. And there are times when I speak the truth more than I live it out. And, you know, James said, be careful that you want to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a stricter uh, rule, a stricter judgment. And so, so often I, I'm guilty of knowing more and speaking more than I actually walk out. And so in this new year, here's my prayer for the new year. We're sitting right on the brink of a new year, 2024. Lord, help me not just to know the truth, though I need to know it. Help me not just to speak the truth, though I do want to be faithful to speak the truth. Help me, Lord, in 2024 to live or walk in the truth. Now that gives us joy when our children walk in the truth. Now, Went uh, was so complimentary when he introduced me. And, uh, you know, there's a sense in which you can have spiritual children. We, we have three physical children, uh, but you can also have spiritual children. Now, Went and Vicky are a special case because they both come from very godly families. The Vincents reared Vicky to love Christ and walk with him, and the influence of her mom and dad are so evident in her, aren't they? And Went was reared by uh, Jimmy and Sherry Fox. And they're not ministers in the sense that we often think of, that they're salaried by the church. Church couldn't afford to pay Jimmy and Sherry Fox what they, for what they do in service to Christ. They're so faithful and they love Christ. And if you wonder why Went is the way he is, get to know his mama and his daddy. Because he's a chip off the old block. He really is. But spiritually, we can influence one another. And boy, Wint has been a big influence in my life as I have watched him grow in Christ. And, and uh, I'd like to think I'm a big brother to him, just as Tommy Vincent's a big brother to me. And my own mother and father were examples to me in the faith. And I have been shaped by these relationships. And there's great joy in that. You know, if your child comes to you and they made honor roll, oh, that gives us joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my ch child made honor roll. No. Now, it's good to make honor roll, but that's not what gives me the greatest joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my child was an all-state football player. Now, of course, you love it when your children excel in sports or music or education, but that's not what gives the greatest joy. The greatest joy is to know that your children are walking in the truth because you know that's what's going to bring them the greatest blessing, to walk in and live the truth. Now, Gaius 
was doing well in his soul. How do we know? Because what's in the bucket comes up, um, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And he was walking in the truth. But here's another thing he was doing. He wasn't only walking in the truth, he was working for the truth. He was working for the truth. Now here, I want to pick it up in verse 5. Beloved. Now let's remind ourselves, this is John, the author of the letter, speaking to Gaius. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers though they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Now here comes the phrase, look at it. Here's the phrase, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And that word in the original is the word, comes over into English, the word synergy. It's the combining of forces for a greater good. And, and we are called, like Gaius, to be fellow workers for the truth. He opened, Gaius did, his home to, uh, to others. He had great hospitality. Uh, he opened up his heart to them. He loved them. They spoke of his love, the Bible says. And he opened up his hands and, and supported them. Now, I don't want this to be mysterious to you. Let's bring back up that passage again. Because I want to make this as plain as I can. He speaks here of being fellow workers for the truth. And how do we know that Gaius is working for the truth? Well, it says he's making efforts for brothers, you see it there in verse 5, who are strangers to you. Now, can you have a brother who is a stranger to you? I have two brothers and a sister. We were all together yesterday for a big family reunion. I know my brothers very well. Paul and Timmy, my sister Donna, they're not strangers to me, they're my siblings. But let me ask you again, can you have a brother who's a stranger to you? Look right up here. If you're a Christian, I'm your brother. And until today, for many of you, I, I, I remain a stranger to you. You're just meeting me, right? So these are brothers who are strangers. What do we know about these brothers who are strangers? They have gone out on a journey for the sake of the name. Now, who are, let's put this equation together. Who are brothers who are strangers to you who have gone out on a journey for the sake of the name? We have a name for this. Missionaries, okay? That's what missionaries are. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone out for the sake of the name. They don't accept anything from the nations, that is, monetary support from those who don't yet know Christ. No, they go out because the church supports them. So this is a picture of missions. And we are to work together in missions. I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this. Um, and I'll just say, in preparation for the story, Gaius, who loved missions, was a team player. All right, My illustration is going to be of a team player. Now you all know what a team player is. That's somebody who's not out for personal glory. They're doing their part on the team to help the team win. Now we're in bowl season, so I'm going to use football as the illustration. 
I am an LSU Tiger fan. And uh, we're about to play a big bowl game. We're gonna play Wisconsin tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to it. And if our team is gonna win, we need some team players. We need those big hulky men on the line that can block. We need some fleet-footed wide receivers can streak out there and get open. We need a quarterback who can loft the ball into their arms. We need running backs for fleet. You know the story. We need defensive players who can stop the run and the, the pass. We need team players. And if you have good team players, you can win the game. You're working together. We're fellow workers for the goal of winning. The story has to do with a young man who's a, a friend of ours, personal friend. His name is Christian Anders. Now, Christian... Hunter was the minister of music in the church where I last pastored in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, home of the LSU Tigers. Uh, but uh, Christian was the music minister. And he was kind of a short fellow, about 5'7", a little bit pudgy. He was balding a little bit, bespeckled. Yet, he was a national champion. And he had the ring to prove it. Y'all ever seen those big gaudy rings that those teams win when they win the championship? National champion. Now, how was Christian, this kind of uncoordinated, short, pudgy little fellow, a national champion on the LSU Tigers where they're all, you know, six foot four and 280 and can run like a deer? Here's how it was. Christian was part of the team managers. And it was his job to book the hotels whenever LSU was going to travel and play. If they traveled to Mississippi State or Ole Miss, he'd book the hotels, he'd book the buses, he'd arrange for the catering, and that was his role on the team. And the year that he was the assistant team manager, they won the national championship. So guess what? When they lined up all those big behemoth players to get their national championship rings, and all the coaches got in line, all the managers got in line, and he got a championship ring just like every other player. Because he was, to use this biblical phrase, he was a fellow worker for the truth. Now, in missions, it may be that you're, you're never going to go uh, to India, as did the Foxes, or to Peru or Colombia, where we lived. You may never go. But did you know that you can be a fellow worker? You can be a team player? You can do your part? And if you'll do so, uh, the, the, the gospel will make its progress. You can pray. You can give. And could I just say, thank you, Piperton, that you've already exceeded your goal of $30,000 for, for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And you're supporting missionaries, brothers who are strangers to you, who've gone out for the sake of the name. You're a part of the team. Now, that is the member who loves missions. Now, very quickly, much more quickly, I'm going to take the second kind of church member. There's the kind who loves missions, but then there's the opposite. There's the member who loathes missions. This is the Grinch, okay? He loathes missions. And he's pictured for us in this letter by the man named Diotrephes. I want us to look again at this brief letter to verses 9 and 10. John's writing and he says, I have something, I've written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, and again, it's a little bit stronger in the original language, he loves to be first. Have you ever known anybody who loves to be first, who loves to get their own way all the time and impose their will? 
Diotrephes was like that. He does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. Again, who is it that he's not welcoming? It's the missionaries, the traveling itinerant ministers. He shuts the door to him. And if you would receive them, he'll shut the door on you and he'll oust you from the church. Now, can you imagine anything more unbelievable? Here's Diotrephes. He doesn't even accept the beloved apostle John. He won't accept his authority. And he's, a, he's an opponent to missions. Huh. The reason, of course, is he loved the preeminence. The word there, preeminence, is found in Colossians chapter 1 where it says that Christ is to have the preeminence uh, above all. Um, someone is to be number one in the church, but it's not to be you or me. It's not to be the pastor or the deacons. It's to be Jesus. He is the head of the church. Now, I know there's kind of a cancer among us. We all like to be number one. You take a football team. They don't win a game all season. They come up to the final game, and they win that last game, and they'll trot off the field. You know, we're number one. We're number one. Everybody loves to be number one. Uh, Y'all may have heard of a basketball player named Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant now has, has, has passed away, but he was a fierce competitor. And he was interviewed once when they had lost a game. And it was in the finals. He was tremendously disappointed. And he, here's what he said. To get second place means you're the first loser. What a miserable attitude. To get second place means you're the first loser. That's a terrible attitude. Where did that arise from within our culture? No, we ought, we ought to commend folks for doing their best, whether they get first place or not, and kill that spirit. But it was, it was existing in the church in that day, Diotrephes. Man, if he couldn't have first place, he was going to do battle to, uh, to oust you and exclude them. He wasn't supportive of missions, not at all. What we want, we work for. And he was working for what he wanted. He wanted to be number one. I'll tell you a story to illustrate this. Uh, from the very first pastorate my wife and I had, we pastored in Mississippi, a little place called Ashland, Mississippi, out in the country. And the church was very sweet to us. We were right out of seminary, about the age of your student pastor here. And uh, they wrapped their arms around us and loved us. And we pastored there while we were at Mid-America Seminary. And when we graduated, we went to the mission field. And the little church was marked by a good deal of harmony. The folks loved each other, by and large. But when we left, sometime later, we got a phone call. It was very disturbing to us on several levels. First of all, uh, the most beloved deacon in the church, his name was Wayman Needham. Brother Wayman was white-haired and gentle giant of a fellow. He'd fought in World War II. He'd been captured by the Germans. He'd been a prisoner of war. So everybody loved Brother Wayman. He was very sweet-spirited, and he was a hero, uh, and, and loved Jesus. He was my visitation partner, and, and I had a great affection for him. And he was the perennial deacon chairman. Uh, he just always was elected the deacon chairman. That's how loved he was. Well, one day he was sitting on the tailgate of his pickup truck, shucking corn, and boom, he had a massive heart attack and just killed over dead. So the church was grieving, of course. And they were going to arrange for his burial in the church cemetery. Now, do y'all have a church cemetery here at Piperton Baptist Church? 
You may never thought of it before, but you may be blessed not to have a cemetery attached to the church. The little church I was pastoring at that time was called Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. And they had a, an old cemetery attached to the church. And they had filled it up. There were no more spaces. So they opened up Pleasant Hill Baptist Church Cemetery number two on a new tract of land. And no one had been buried in the number two cemetery yet. Well, Brother Wayman passed away. And he was going to be the first person buried in the new cemetery. Because he had been a veteran of World War II, the government was going to give him a big headstone to commemorate his, his heroism in the war. Well, it happens that the church had formed a committee to oversee the cemetery. And there was one fellow who led the cemetery committee. I called him Boss Hog uh, because he loved to have his way and kind of bully his way around. And he was in charge of the cemetery committee. You'd think you could do no damage being the head of the cemetery committee, but... Hang on with me. They'd established some rules for the cemetery, and you could only have a headstone that was like flush with the grass. I think it was so they could mow it quickly, right? So now, get, get the battle lines as they draw up. There's the committee chairman who says you can only have a headstone even with the ground, and there's the grieving family who wants to bury their grandpapa in the cemetery with a big honking monument from the government for his military service. There are the battle lines drawn in the church. Do you know what happened? Long story short, the church split over a tombstone. Those who wanted to let the family have the tombstone were on one side, and those who sided with Boss Hog were on the other side. Diotrophes, who had to have his way. By the way, they said he, they couldn't bury the man there. They chained the, the fence shut with a pad, uh, padlock. But to Mississippi people, padlock ain't no trouble. They just got big cutters and cut it off. And they went in and they buried their grandpa right there in the cemetery. Now you might think they split over a tombstone. They didn't split over a tombstone. They split over the pride of a Diotrephes. It's a problem when you want to be first and you have to have your way. And I, I hope you don't have any diatrophies in your church. I got a feeling you don't. That all of y'all get along and you all are supportive of missions and you don't oppose missions, but you give to it generously. I pray that that be the case. I'm reminded of one other story and I'm, I'm going to go quicker, but I heard about this one fellow. They were taking up the missions offering and uh, they had gotten the plates like this and they were going up and down the aisles and everybody was giving their, their Christmas offering and they got to the back and there was this one fella in the back. He was sitting back there and he had his arms crossed like this. He had a scowl on his face. And the usher was like, uh, he was gonna pass it and the guy's like, and he shook it and the coins kind of rattled like, come on, give your part. And the old fella's like, like that. And then the usher leaned over and said, why don't you just take some? It's for the pagans anyway. <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. Why don't you just take some? You don't want to give to missions? You're telling about where your heart is. So there are different kinds of church members as regards missions. There is the church member who loves missions. Then there's the church member who loathes it and opposes it and is just trying to build their own kingdom. But then finally, there's the kind of member who I'm calling it lives missions. Now this is the briefest part of the letter. A character named Demetrius. It says uh, regarding him, uh, actually it begins with an address again to Gaius. Beloved Gaius, 
Don't imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God. This is verses 11 and 12. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. This is the guy I'm saying lives missions. Demetrius. He has a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself, and we add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true. Now, folks, listen. Here's the way this letter comes to its climax. You have, on one hand, diatrophies. He loathes missions, and he opposes it. On the other side, you have this character, Demetrius. He has a good testimony. Many people believe that he's actually the bearer of this letter that John wrote to the church. He was the missionary. He was one of these brothers who was a stranger, and he's among them. And, and so John says, man, look, his testimony's good, and we add our testimony regarding him. So you've got Diotrephes over there and Demetrius over here. And Gaius, look at this. Gaius is in the very middle. And John's worried about Gaius. Now, Gaius is good. Gaius is generous. Gaius is godly. But Gaius, I believe is at a crossroads. He sees Diotrephes, and he feels pressure from Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. And I think there's a danger that he may be swayed by Diotrephes. And over here is good Demetrius, who's well spoken of, has a good testimony. And so John addresses himself to Gaius in this pivotal moment, and he says, Gaius, do not imitate what is evil, Imitate what is good. It's the only command in this whole letter. Imitate. Or here it says, uh, in the, uh, the original language has the idea of mimic. Mimu is the word in Greek. Mimic, it comes over. Have y'all ever uh, mimicked anyone? You know, you, you do it when you play a follow the leader. And if you do it like this, all the children get behind and all the children, you know, do what the leader does touch your head, you know, and you, you do those things, you follow the leader, you mimic. And all of us have a tendency to mimic. It's kind of a nature, a part of the human nature. And the issue is, whom are you mimicking? Have you ever heard this term, social media influencer? It's kind of a new term uh, that's arisen with all the social media, like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all these things. Uh, Snapchat, I don't even know what they all are. But there are social media influencers. I'll just name some that uh, are very popular in our day. Taylor Swift. They actually call them Swifties that, that love Taylor Swift and she's very influential in their lives. Or am I wrong? You young people, help this old fella up here. They're Swifties. And then you think about Ariana Grande or The Rock. Millions and millions of followers. And, and uh, who else would be like a, a social media influencer? Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Oh, he's dating Taylor Swift right now. See how hip Wynn and I are? <laughs> we know these things. We know these things. Yeah, social media influencers. How, why are social media influencers effective? Because humans tend to mimic we see something we like, and all, you know, everybody wants to have a skirt like Taylor Swift has. And so the, the apostle John is saying, 
Do not imitate what is evil. And I'm not saying Taylor Swift is evil. I'm just listing the, 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 the influencers. Don't imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good. Gaius is at a pivot point. And the truth is we all are. And as we enter 2024, I want you to think about who is most influential in your life. The Bible actually calls us to mimic our leaders. Listen to this. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It doesn't say imitate their hairstyle. Dress. It all may be, but he's, he's not perfect. I'll ask Vicki. Vicki can tell me. <laughs> but when's a good godly pastor? And it would be good for you to listen to him as he teaches the Word of God. And you don't have to wear your hair like Went Went wears it. It does look good, brother, but you don't have to wear it like Went. <laughs> but, but you're to imitate his faith. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I urge you, Paul said, to imitate me, be followers of me as I follow Christ. You young people that are here, teenagers, go bowling. If the student pastor says, we're going to meet at the church and we're going to stand on our heads, bring your pillow and stand on your head with a youth pastor. I'm, I'm telling you, be influenced by godly examples. That's how you grow in the Christian life. Don't imitate what's evil. Imitate what's good. Christ's mission. There's nothing greater to which you could give your life than Christ's mission. It's addressing the world's greatest problem. It's getting the good news that Christ came to forgive us and give us life eternal. That's the mission. What kind of church member are you? Do you love missions? Do you loathe missions and wish we'd stop talking about it? <laughs> or do you live missions? Maybe God's going to call some of you to leave your home, your hearth, your kin, and to go overseas and to serve in a career way. Uh, my wife, Nell, grew up in Bahalia, Mississippi. Y'all know where Bahalia is, don't you? Her parents died recently and they left us the old home place right down here on Highway 309 North. And my wife lived in that house from the time she was born until she married me. And off we went to the mission field. She left her home because she heard God calling. And God may call some of you. And if he does, I hope you'll say yes. But if you're not called to go and you're to stay, you're to hold the ropes for those who go. And I challenge you to love and live missions. Let's pray. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Father, we thank you for this day, the joy of it, the beauty of your word, and the instructions we find in it. Help us to not be like Diotrephes, where we've got to have our way. We're sold brats. Help us, Lord, to put your mission first and you first, and to love it, to open up our homes, our hearts, our hands, and to support missionaries and send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And help us to live on mission, whether it be here in Piperton, Collierville, Behelia, Tennessee, Mississippi, or to the ends of the earth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.